In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the troubles anybody has in compiling a lectionary is that you have to start somewhere and stop somewhere. And one of the results is you always leave off something important. Well, one of the troubles of reading the Gospel according to St. John is very frustrating as it must have been for the original people who heard it. To it, Jesus is a comedian and you are always the straight man. To wit, there is a statement there and nobody ever, and Jesus doesn't quite explain, he always gives very cryptic answers. <clears throat> Should have been a politician. <laughs> well, the thing is that Jesus said to Judas, not Iscariot, that's because he asked a question. He said, you're getting ready to leave us, Lord. So you're getting ready to leave us, and as a result, uh, why is it that you're going to speak to us, but not to the world? I guess that was felt to be uncomfortable making. And he says, those who love me and my Father will, will and keep my word, and my Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Well, that's great. I wanted to pick up on the side of that, though, that isn't necessarily obvious, and that is that that word for home. It so happens that the Father and the Son are together, and the word that's used there, mone, actually means dwelling place, but about a hundred years later in Greek, it came to mean monastery. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> but anyway, um, one of the things it means is that the monastery is the place where the father and the son live together. That's what determines what makes the monastery. It isn't the monks. Um, there's even a little uh, Latin phrase for this used for monasticism generally, and it says, cuculus non fit monicus. It says, the cowl does not make the monk. Boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> well, <laughs> whether it is or not, the fact is that we're talking about a monastery as a place where the father and the son together are with people who are at least striving to do the things that the father has asked and the son have asked. Miserably failing possibly, but still wanting to do. Now, that's great. Now, Judas had asked the question why there was going to be a distinction between Jesus' disciples and the rest of the world. Well, that's true enough. He says it's because you're to strive to keep my commandments. But on the other hand, he goes on to say that when the Comforter, the Paraclete, comes, who will uh, come in my name, he will make all things, he reveal all things to you. Um, well, now that's fine. The word paraclete, and I 
thank Brother Robert for reading the transliterated form rather than advocate or comptroller, which is what is usually translated. It's kind of a really weird word because there's no, it's a Greek word, but it's no equivalent of it in Latin or English. So it's become a proper name for the Holy Spirit. So it's just the name, right? Doesn't mean anything. So you get the kid who is reputed, I hope apocryphally, to have made the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Parakeet. <laughs> now, the fact is that Paraclete is, in fact, a genuine Greek word. And originally, it meant just somebody who is on a level who, in fact, you had as either a bosom buddy, a friend, even your wife. But in any case, it was a word, a title, not a name. So Jesus says that he's going to send a paraclete. Now, earlier in the passage, he said that he was going to send another paraclete. That always puzzled me until I realized that he meant that the paraclete was himself. That's the first one. The second one is the one who will come again, and traditionally we think of that as the Holy Spirit. But the fact is, a paraclete is a kind of office, something that someone has. And modern Hebrew, I might add, it has come to mean lawyer. My, that's an, un <laughs> an uncomfortable baking thought. The fact is that in the Middle East, for many hundreds of years, Greek and uh, Aramaic were the administrative languages, and they shared rooms back and forth. Paraclete was one of them. It went into Aramaic as paracleta, and it came back out as paraclete again, but with a new meaning. What's the meaning? An intermediary, a go-between. Now, the Talmud gives a good example, maybe not the most comfortable thinking. Say you need to, say you need to bribe the governor. Well, in the Middle East, that's fairly normal. You have to give a little bash to get anything done. Okay, but first you need to find out how much. Now, you don't go barsing in and try and do this yourself. No, you send the paracleta in to do a little private negotiating. You come to an agreement, you come back and you say, it's all fixed. So now you trot into the governor's office holding a little gift for your honor's attention. Uh, and he says, how did you know what I wanted? <laughs> so it's just the thing which is a person who stands between. Now, why do we need a paraclete? Well, there's a good reason for that. We're trying to get in touch with God, right? God is in heaven, you are on earth. That's a good one. But the other thing is that God is infinite, omnipotent, omnipotent. Well, that's a bit of a problem. And the problem is one of the characteristic things of the book of Job in the Old Testament. Job is complaining. He says he's innocent and God, and he keeps getting all the things that say he's guilty. He needs to talk to God, and he says, I can't talk to God because the minute I do, he'll smash me to bits. So he says, I need 
an umpire. I need somebody to stand between me and allow me to have a relationship with God. That's what a paracleta does. And the passage that's very famous for that is, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at last upon the earth, and that in my flesh I shall see God. Well, let's not worry about the linguistics, but anyway, the word there for Redeemer more or less comes out to Paracleta two or three hundred years later in a different form. Now that's important because what it means is the Paracleta is somebody who can put his hand on God's shoulder and he can put his hand on Job's shoulder. He said, all right, God, let's not have any of this smashing and flat. Okay, now you, Job, you pop in and you say your thing. Now that is the job of the paraclete that came for Jesus. The incarnation is about that kind of equality making. But now he says, Jesus says, there's going to be another paraclete. Well, what's that about? Well, it doesn't make any sense if paraclete is just another word for the Holy Spirit. But it isn't. It's a word for an office. And the office is intermediary. He's the one which enables you to stand between and speak with and share with the things that come from God. So, let's say we're not crying to God that you haven't heard. We're just trying to speak to our neighbor. Well, we need to have him up a more difficult we need to have something else there, too. We need to learn how to speak across the barriers that guide us, and we need a paraclete. The paraclete is the Holy Spirit. That's God. But now when you go a little further, paraclete is an office. That means we can be paracletes. Uh, that means we, too, are in a position sometimes to be the intermediary between God and uh, some other person who needs God. You don't have to do it all. Jesus already saved us. But you can be the administer, the person who brings the shades, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what being a paraclete is. That's fulfilling the word of the Father, and that's what makes a place a monastery a place that does that. The advocate, the comforter, is the one who speaks to that. Now, I don't doubt that every single person here has had people who have functioned as advocates, as paracletes with you. I've got a bunch of them on my screensaver. My second grade teacher, uh, my uh, supervisor when I was studying elsewhere, uh, my friends and uh, my old priest, they were all paracletes. And there are opportunities for me to be a paraclete with other people. And, you know, that pops up all the time. The other day, somebody whose uh, brother had, well, she said, basically drank himself to death. She, he wasn't exactly a believer, but she wanted to read something from the Bible. Could I have a suggestion? That's being a paraclete. Likewise, uh, somebody was telling me a problem with 
his wife left him and he's got four small children. And uh, now it's his job to try to bring them up, have them a full-time job, and bring up four children, all small. Uh, that, well, he asked me, I just listened. That's what the paraclete does in that sort of situation. Now, I'd like you to say is that this week, you can, all of you, settle down and find somebody who needs a paraclete. And I bet you can find something that you can do. And also be grateful for the people who come and are paracletes for you. And every time the paraclete comes with the Father and the Holy Spirit, there's a monastery there. The Father and the Son come to make their dwelling with them. You will make the dwelling with you. And you will make an intermediary speaking to all those other people, which means it's not you, it's God. And that means there's a way for you in your ordinary life to be an intermediary between God and humanity. And now unto God the Father, God the Son, and God it be ascribed as is most justly due, all might, majesty, power, dominion, and praise. Amen. Amen. Amen.